Hey, what's up, Resonate? Happy Mother's Day to you. Happy Mother's Day to you all. You are joining us online and also our special family in Hayward. And we love you like crazy. Happy Mother's Day. I expect all the mothers dressed to the nines, ready to be celebrated. And indeed, we are. And so happy Mother's Day to everyone. Now, uh, we are actually closing out our series on facets. Uh, we've been studying 1 Corinthians 15, that robust chapter. And we've been studying Jesus' resurrection and our bodily resurrection in the second coming of Jesus and the implications, and I should say massive implications uh, with it. So uh, if you have your Bibles, I hope to, uh, you do. Let's dive in and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, and we're going to finish this chapter uh, by uh, looking at what Paul's final um, encouragement and admonishment to us is. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. And if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? And I'll pray once again that the Holy Spirit preach a better sermon than the one that you're about to hear from me. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. This is the word of the Lord. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Hallelujah. Praise God. You could clap. Let's go. That is the word of the Lord for this great morning. All God's people said? Amen. All right, let's go. Have a seat. If you've been tracking with our series, you realize this robust pa uh, passage has repeated themes over and over and over again. And my question to you is, why is Paul repeating themes over and over and over again in a singular chapter? Why is he doing that? Well, let me tell you why. Have you ever had to say something twice or multiple times to your children? Have you? Yeah? Well, do you think their problem was that they didn't hear? No. It's not that they haven't heard. It's that... They didn't listen. That's the problem. They didn't listen. See, Paul is talking to the Corinthians church, and they've heard about the resurrection. Some have even seen the resurrection, and yet they haven't listened. You see, at the time in that area, there was a set of beliefs set by the Greeks predominantly called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, basically, the basic doctrine is this, that the things of the flesh is evil, 
Material things are evil, but the spirit is good. And they believe that there's no reason at all why the bodily resurrection could ever happen because they're like, why would you want wrinkly, old, sinful nature things to be attached to your soul? So they believe that the soul will be carried on forever, but they believe that the body will remain in the grave. And they couldn't see any possibility whatsoever how good that could be. And the Christian resurrection says this, that not only Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave, but because he rose from the grave that we too will have a bodily resurrection. Amen? And that's what the Christians believe. But the Corinthian church, they believed in the resurrection and they just couldn't think through the implications. So you might say this, that the Corinthian church had the resurrection that came through information, but not the kind of resurrection that gave them transformation. See, it wasn't transforming then. They were just informed. In so many ways, you and I find ourselves in the same pattern because if you and I were to be confronted with the realities of the resurrection and that we no longer settle with the information of the resurrection, but the power of the resurrection, which actually transforms us, then you and I would live very differently our lives today. The first thing that you'll see is that all your anxieties will be gone, that you'll be immovable, that you'll be impervious to lots of circumstances that happen in your life, and that you'll have this immense supernatural peace, and that your investment will be the things of heaven, not on earth, and yet many of us find ourselves constantly worrying, constantly thinking, and constantly investing, and thinking that we have to extract all the benefits from the terminal that we live today when you and I know that we have a destination that's coming. And so we look at verse 50. This is what Paul says to us as an encouragement. He says, I tell you, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He's basically saying the physical body is not suited for the future kingdom. Where we are going, you can't take your physical bodies with you. It's almost like your physical body currently cannot go into space. Ugly things will happen there if you take yourself into space right now. And in the same way, the place that we're going will be radically different. Therefore, our bodies will have to be radically different. And if you were here last week, the illustration and analogy that Paul gives is an analogy of a seed, a tiny seed. And he says, compare the seed. And that's how you know the difference between your body now to what your future body will be. Listen, mothers, do you like flowers? Some of you really love flowers. And then if you love flowers, you know what it is to get a beautiful bouquet of flowers. I mean, I mean, Lucky's flowers are great, you know? But there are florists that design flowers. You're like, when you get them, it's like, it just takes your breath away because of the beauty and the aroma of the flowers, right? Right? So let's say your kids, your husband today and got you one of those bouquet of flowers. Man, you're, you're stoked. Wherever you put it, it just changes the atmosphere, the environment, the feng shui, whatever you want to say to that room, right? It's great, right? Today, let's say, mothers, you got a bag of seeds. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> bag of seeds, right? And what Paul is saying here is, listen, today you're a bag of seeds. You're a seed today. But one day, you're going to turn into this beautiful bouquet of flowers with the aroma of Christ. And wherever you go, you're just going to be stunningly beautiful. And this is the imagery that Paul gives us here and now. In verse 51, he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
Could you hear that from, from our rest kids nursery? This is the protest of all of our children. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> no, that's, that's taking this Bible verse in a, out of context. Okay, I just want you to know. But this is what it's saying. Paul is talking about that there will be a generation when Jesus comes in his second coming that they will be alive. They will not see death. They'll be caught up immediately along with those believers who have died. Now notice how it happens in verse 52. It says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, consider this. How will it happen? In a moment. That word is the word atomas in the Greek where we get the word atom. And it means, by definition, something so small or so short that you couldn't even divide it in half if you wanted to do it. It's so fast. In the moment, it happens so quickly. As if that was not enough, Paul goes on to describe how additionally it will happen, not in just a moment, atomas, but he says with the twinkling of an eye. Twinkling of an eye is not a blinking of the eye because the blink of an eye happens one-thirtieth of a second. But experts say a twinkling of the eye has to do with light and how light speed goes from your retina to your iris. That's how fast it is. And they timed it, and the timing is one-sixth of a nanosecond. You know what a nanosecond is? It's one one one-billionth of a second. Yeah, that's really fast. And it's one-sixth of that. So essentially what Paul is saying is that we will be changed. You and I will be changed in a flash, in a blink of an eye, in a twinkling of an eye. Not a second, not a split second, not even a nanosecond, but one-sixth of a second. And you and I will have these eternal bodies that we will have forever and ever and ever all through eternity. My Lord, what an amazing day that will be. Now, Paul lands a plane here, so to speak, of this epic chapter by sharing with us three victories that we find in the resurrection. First is a victory over death. Secondly is a victory over the perishable body. And third is a victory over our present life. And he ends this way, I believe, because he wants to encourage you today. He wants you to be hope-filled and joy-filled until the day of his return. And I can't think of a better good news for us to hear on a spectacular day like Mother's Day to hear this victory. So first, if you're taking notes, we will have victory over death. We will have victory over death. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Class, what will be swallowed up in victory? Death. What will be swallowed up in victory? Death. Death. Death will be swallowed up. It says there's a coming day in which Christ will return in glory and death is swallowed up in victory. And I love this because this is a true reversal of our fate today. It's a reversal. Why? Because today, for now, death is the great devourer. Death swallows up everyone, every single one. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter if you're healthy or unhealthy. It doesn't matter what race you're from, what culture you're from. Death 
will have the last word. He is the great devourer. But Paul is saying here that one day, death, the devourer, will one day be devoured. It is the ultimate reversal of fate, even for death. How? Through the victory of Jesus Christ. It is through his victory we're gonna get victory. Now, let me take you a little bit deeper. Death, the great grim reaper. Do you know death has two henchmen? Two associates that he works with to ultimately make a triad of the ultimate evil. That death has two friends that he constantly works with to create an evil coalition to destroy and to devour us. And we see this in this text right here in verse 56. It says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Do you see this? The sting of death is sin. That's the first henchman. The second henchman is the power of sin. It's the law. So here it is. Death, sin, and law make a triad of evil that causes a ton of problems for you and me. And if the Holy Trinity is the Father, Son, and Spirit, and they are there to love us and to save us, then death's triad of this evil coalition is here to destroy you and hate you and to devour you. That is a problem. So how is he going to destroy us? Well, let me show you how. First, the law is a demand that we cannot meet. See, we can't meet the law. Secondly, sin is a stain that we cannot remove. Third, death is an outcome that we can't avoid. That's a problem. See, death is a demand that we cannot meet. Sin is a stain that we cannot remove. And death is an outcome that we cannot avoid. So this triad of death, sin, and law make up the ultimate evil empire. Now, I'm sure you have friends and I have friends who say, well, what's the big deal? Death is death. You shouldn't be scared of death. It's all natural, you know. It's like the circle of life. They've watched Lion King a little too many, once too many times. And they're like, death is a reality for us. And they say things like, you know what? When you're gone, you're just gone. And so, so you have no sting. Death is not a big deal. When you die, then, you know, like, you don't have to be scared of death because you won't be conscious of death. You won't be conscious. And so you don't even know you're dead, so you're gone. That's how they think. Well, that's all good if death didn't have a henchman because death, death, death in itself wouldn't be scary at all because if you had death, you're like, once you're dead, you're done. That's not very scary. But what if death had henchmen's? Therefore, death has a sting. And what is a sting? The, the sting is of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Now, let me tell you why this is devastating news for you and me. Here's what it means. God has called you to live a life that you have not lived. God has given you commandments that you did not keep. God has called you to a purpose that you have not lived up to. And this puts all of us on blast. This gets us to a precarious situation. You see a demand that we cannot meet, a stain that we cannot remove, and an outcome that we cannot at all avoid, which means death has a judgment. And that's a problem. 
It's a triple threat. Now listen, if death was just alone, man, if we could just fight a fair fight, one-on-one, mano-a-mano, maybe we'll have a chance. But with the two other henchmen, three against one, listen, you and I have no chance, zero hope, unless somebody comes and fights for us. Unless that person is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to the rescue. So Jesus, the Son of God, he took on flesh, and he's come to the rescue from the triple threat, law, sin, and death, and he goes in like like WrestleMania. Have you seen the Royal Rumble where one guy comes in and he battles three people? This is the scene of Jesus. Now, you might not even be wrestling fans, okay? I'm not a wrestling fan myself, and yet I know what this looks like. And this is a heavenly war, and Jesus first takes out law. How? Jesus lived a perfect life to fulfill the law. Do you see this? He fulfills the law. He doesn't get rid of the law because the law is good, as the psalmist says. And yet the law gets sour and burdensome when we have sin. And so what does Jesus do? He says, I come and fulfill every single law there is for you. Every single law. All the burdens and the demands that we should have is taken off. And so what Jesus does is he clotheslines law and the law's out. Then the second guy comes, sin. And what does Jesus do? Jesus lays down his perfect life and pays for that sin that we should have paid for. So Jesus' death pay for it. So what Jesus does with death is he actually elbows to the face death to say, you know what, death, you gone because you know what? I'm going to make the payment that my people cannot make. And so on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had lived your life so that he could now treat you as if you have fulfilled every single law like Jesus. So those two are gone. Now the third and the only member is death. So Jesus, what does he do? After he dies, he doesn't stay there. He rose from the grave. He rose from the grave, hallelujah, thus defeating death, defeating death. Remember what Jesus said? On the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then it says he breathed his last. And the Son of God goes into death, but guess what? He doesn't stay there because he goes into death only to go through death. And on the other side, he comes out of death and he says, on the third day, I am forgiven. For Christ is risen. Help me out. The Lamb has conquered death. My Jesus lives again. Do you see that? The, the, the sound people gave me some reverb there. I need all the help I could get. God sent Jesus. And Jesus swallowed up death and victory. So you see. He deals with this triad of evil 
law, sin, and death, and he lives a perfect life, dies the sacrificial death, and he rose again for us, and he triumphs over his resurrection. And what we're being told here is that his victory will be ours if you are in him, because if Jesus is our first fruit, then we are his harvest, and whatever happens to Jesus will happen to us. And if he is victorious, then we are victorious. If he has fulfilled the law, then we are credited to fulfill the law. If he had defeated sin by paying for it, then we no longer have to. And at the end of the day, when Jesus defeated death, you and I will also be victorious over death. Praise God. Hallelujah. This is the utter utter reality of Jesus Christ. Listen, the third back there, you guys are dead today. And I need you to come back alive in Jesus' name. You guys need to experience this resurrection because he paid for it all. This is how he's going to take out the law, the sin, and the death. Your victory is only found in his victory. That's why verse 57 says, thank God, thank God that we have found victory through Jesus Christ. And this is good news for us. So you and I no longer have to fear. Listen, this is not the kind of victory that we just look ahead and say it's coming. It's a victory that we could have today. You know why? Because there's some of you who are just crushed by the law, who are crushing yourself to say, man, I'm not fulfilling the law. I'm not doing it. I'm such a bad person. I'm terrible. You keep trying, and you become a good Pharisee. And the Lord said, hey, yo, 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 ease up. I fulfilled every law for you so that now you could enjoy the law. You could enjoy in glad obedience. You don't, have to, you don't have to do it. You get to do it. That's what Jesus says. And then he says, yo, some of you are so ashamed of sin. You guys are hiding it. You guys are so fearful. If somebody finds out, you'll be wrecked. He says, don't you know I know you through and through? Don't you know that there's no condemnation in you because I took all the condemnation for you. I took the shame so you be shameless. That's what Jesus does. And so it is a victory that you could have today. And for death, some of you, 60s, 70s, even 80s and 90s, you you have more life behind you than in front of you. And you might be scared. You're like, my goodness, what's going to happen? Listen, brothers and sisters, old saints, you will live. You will not die. You will pass through death. Come to the other side. You know how I know? Because Jesus is my first fruit and I am his harvest. And Jesus is your first fruit and he, you are his harvest. And you will live again. It is a victory to be had now, not just later. Amen? Amen. Here's the second one. We have victory over our perishable body. Our perishable body. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, And the mortal puts on immortality. Man, could I ask you, what does it mean to have a perishable body? I'll tell you. Have you ever seen a banana go bad? Oof. It's bad, man. You know that banana, that lost banana that gets behind your fruit bowl that you can't see? Man, it's too late. You can't resuscitate it. No banana loaf. Nothing. Nothing. It's over, man. Throw that thing out. Right? You know what I mean? Right? You think that rotten banana is bad, you should see a perishable body. Move. I was talking to a friend. I was in uh, Georgia this week and talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor who used to be a captain of SWAT. And, man, we're over fire. We said, hey, what's the worst thing that you've ever experienced? He's like, oh, 
I remember a family that called for a missing person report. It was their mom. So the SWAT team went to the mom's house, and she wasn't answering, so they knocked down the door. Then came a stench that was, like, way worse than kimchi. I'm telling you, it was just like, it was the kind of, kind of stench that just rocked your world, he said. He said, I'll never forget. And they go upstairs and found a woman who was trapped between the walls and the bed, and she had suffocated and stayed there for about seven days. And he said, the stench, the smell, the perishable body is something that he'll never, ever forget. Now, I could give you a lot more details like he did, but I want you to have a good lunch. Happy Mother's Day. You see? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> but that's a perishable body. Now, listen, what does it look like for you to have an imperishable body? Let me describe four ways that Paul does here that your resurrection body will have. First, you will have an imperishable body. That's what it says. And we looked at this briefly last week, verse 42. What is sown, he's talking about the body that dies in the grave. What is sown, like a seed, is perishable. And what is raised is imperishable. Listen, your resurrection body will never wear out. It'll never tire. It'll never get sick. The limitations and disabilities that make life difficult in this world will be gone forever. And I think of someone who's in our service even now. Here, uh, some, uh, a friend of mine who's had no use of really very little use of his legs since birth. And yet, in heaven, in his resurrected body, he will run with Jesus. That I think about my nephew who's actually right now in Thrive. He's special needs with aut- autism. And one day I will converse with them and he will teach me new vocabulary words. And I will hear his voice in ways that I've never heard before in my life. That there are people who have lost limbs and now with their resurrection body will raise them for the first time worshiping the glorious Jesus. This is the resurrected body. This is the imperishable body. Thomas Boston picks up some language here, some characters from the Bible. And he says this, he says, Isaac's eyes will not be dim." And Jacob will no longer limp. Leah will not be short-sighted. And Mephibosheth, who was actually Jonathan's son, who was so kind to David, who had a crutch, won't need his crutches in the new heaven and in the new earth in the resurrection body. As a goldsmith melts down the old broken vessel and casts it over again in a new mold, so shall the body which lay dissolved in the grave come forth at the resurrection in perfect Beauty and lovely proportion. Perfect beauty and lovely proportion are two words never described of me. <laughs> and, and one day it will. Perfect beauty, lovely proportion will be the perfect descriptor of who you will be because your body will be imperishable. But it also says, secondly, you will have a glorious body. Paul goes on. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. Do you know, Paul says in Philippians that in Christ, he's going to change your lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, when we think about Jesus' body, we often just relegate it to the body that the disciples saw 40 days later after he came out of the grave. Remember that? 
And so it seemed like slightly enhanced body, but we forget that Jesus at times through the New Testament has shown us his glorious body, namely the glorious body that Paul saw on the road to Damascus. Remember, Jesus comes down and he's shown a great light and literally blinds Paul. That is Jesus' glorious body. Or take, for example, the one that John saw in Revelation 1 when he saw this Jesus come down, his hair flames in his eyes, his robe shone bright, his face shining like the sun. Remember that kind of Jesus' body? He is stunned by it. Or how about the one that Peter, James, and John saw in the Mount of Transfiguration? They were so accustomed to Jesus' earthly body, but there saw Jesus with Elijah and Moses come out and seeing his light hit their face and they were changed forever. This is the kind of glorious body that Jesus says, you and I will have. Glory. Imperishable. Amazing. Third, you will have a powerful body. A powerful body. Verse 43, it is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. And this is good news for a lot of us nerds. Maybe you don't think you have a powerful body now. One day you'll get a powerful body. I was reading a commentator. He said the resurrection body is going to have more energy, more physical capability, more stamina, and more athleticism. You see, nerds, we have, we have hope. Athleticism will be the jocks of heaven. More speed, more coordination, more durability than ever because we're not going to need the body less. We're actually going to need it more and use it more. Do you realize that you're going to use this powerful body in heaven for the glory of God? Listen, Resonate Church, we need to get rid of this new agey. We're like this amoeba-only spirit manifestation that talks to each other in this weird language. Come on. Like, that's not the reality. We're not going to hang out with babies with little wings playing harps all day long, floating six inches off the ground. That is not the reality of heaven. The heaven is that we're going to have a glorious body and a powerful body and a material body, imperishable, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Fourth, you will have a spiritual body. It, is, it says, verse 44, it is sown in the natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. Now, what is a spiritual body? You're like, wait, I thought the resurrection obtained a material body. I mean, spiritual body doesn't sound like a, a, a body that you could snorkel or snowboard or something. I, I thought we're going to have a really powerful physical body. This is the best. A spiritual body is a body in which every inkling of the Holy Spirit, as it guides you, Naturally, your physical body will be in step with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says left, you go left, right when you're right. And you're going to be so united with the Holy Spirit that any motion of the Holy Spirit, any sway of God's will, you will be there. You won't have to resist. But the reality of us today, isn't it true that you and I are exhausted and tired and trying to follow God's will and it's such a fight. Paul says in Romans 7, he says, listen, man, I want to do good, but the evil inside me is something that I constantly do, but I don't want to do. And isn't that your reality of your life? And my life, isn't it tiring to want to love God and want to serve God and want to do God's will? And yet your consciousness, your body is militant against it. 
Listen, Alec Moyer says this. The Christian's present experience is that the body militates against the living and godly life. There is a downward drag in our bodily members so that frequently our best intentions and ideas are destroyed by the inability and rebellion of the body. How marvelous then is the promise of a body which will respond automatically to the promptings of God and will be the perfect vehicle for the expression of the new nature. Man, your body, my body will one day be the perfect vehicle to do God's will. Man, that sounds like a dream to me. If the resurrection is true, that's exactly what lies ahead for you and me. A body that is imperishable, a body that is glorious, a body that is utterly powerful and absolutely spiritual and nothing less. That's incredible. So those are two victories. But here's the last one that we see here, the third. We have victory over our present life. Our present life. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you see, this is the very last verse of this massive, massive treaty on the resurrection by Paul. But do you see how it starts in verse 58? It says, therefore. Now, class, why is the word therefore, therefore? Why? When every time you see therefore, it's always referring to something before. And what is that? Paul is referring to verse 1 through 57. Everything that you and I have learned in the last six weeks about the resurrection from this chapter, Paul is including here. He's saying every implication of the reality of the bodily resurrection of a person who has died because of the second coming of Christ, this is the reason why, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is Paul's charge. Essentially, Paul is saying this. If you believe in the resurrection, it will no longer be just information, but you will experience transformation. And the way it's going to work out in you is that you're not going to be as anxious because when the world shakes, you will be immovable because your future is secure. And because it is secure and because you will be steadfast, always abound in the work of the Lord. This is a test. For those of us who understand the reality of the resurrection, we will serve the Lord here because you know why? Because this time is so limited in comparison to the eternity that we'll have with him. And he says, and your work is not in vain. This is huge. Listen, this is what I want to say. When people ask, in fact, during this series, Several of you have asked this question. You know, Ryan, if, if, if the resurrection is true and for the believer is come by grace and this is a reality for us, then why work? Why do anything for the Lord? Because it's all coming for us anyway and everything's gonna be, you know, new and everything's gonna be thrown away like trash. Like, why do we even serve people right now? Why are we kind to people? Why are we doing social justice work? Why don't we try to, you know, clean up the streets? Why do we do these things? Well, let me, let me tell, tell it to you this way. First, because he commands it. Do you see? Always work for the abounding work of the Lord. He commands it. That's why we do it. Listen, it's Mother's Day today. And some of you, especially kids, you guys have enough energy to do one nice thing for your mom. 
because all the rest of the you know year you you kind of take for her uh, take her for granted, right? That's that's what we do, and and yet like I, I've lost my mom in 2013, and I think of her all the time. She died two days before Mother's Day, and I think about her, and there's not a thing that I wouldn't do for her. Why? Because of what she's done for me. There's nothing. She could ask me to do anything, I would do it. Now, how much more does this apply to God who's given you this gift of resurrection? How much more will you tell this God, say, simply command me, tell me to do anything, and I will do it. I will gladly do it in glad obedience. Why? Because you're my Lord, and by grace, one day I'll be victorious over death because Jesus was. How much more are we glad? Because simply he commanded it. But secondly, because he'll use it. Not only does he command it, but he says he will use the work that you do. And many of us serve the Lord, and we have this attitude to say, man, I'm not making any difference at all. Really? You better read your scripture. Because the Lord says that there's nothing that he'll squander about your work, that he will use it for his glory. Your work is not in vain, what he's saying. So even when you're teaching, when you're doing things, you're like, man, this does not make any difference at all. Listen, maybe to you, but from from the grand scheme of the sovereignty of God in his view and all of his wisdom, he's saying it's not in vain. Something awesome is happening. Trust it. That's what we work. And the third thing is that he restores it. He renews it. He restores it. What do you mean? You realize that even in the resurrection, he uses and restores your body? Like, in heaven, you're not going to see somebody else that doesn't look like Ryan, somebody brand new, like, who are you? You're Ryan Quant. That's not Ryan. You won't say that. You'll be like, Ryan. Because he's going to renew this. What he's given me initially, he's going to actually renew and redeem to the full. In the same way, do you know that the new heavens and new earth that's coming is a renewed heaven, a renewed earth, meaning the work that we're doing now, God is going to preserve and use it ultimately to his glory, to the fullness of that redemption. That's what he's doing right now. That's why we should continue to work because whatever we do now, if the resurrection is true, then he will use it for his glory in the future. And that's really good news. I'll close this way. Uh, I was just reading a commentary, and I already quoted that great Scottish Puritan Thomas Boston. And uh, his quote inspired me so greatly that I actually got his book, and I read his book on the way from the East Coast here this week. I just read the whole thing. And, man, he just has such a vivid imagination. And in one part of the book, he actually gives you a great picture of the second coming of Jesus. Remember, for those of us who are dead, we'll be buried, and one day we'll be united with our soul who's been in paradise, and we'll come together, remember, on earth, in, in the skies, along with those people who are living. You know, that picture is a picture I've never seen until Thomas Boston wrote about it. And... And he writes in this one section of how your soul and your body being reunited for the first time since death will have a conversation. And I want to bring you into that conversation between your body and your soul, what it might be like. And I just warn you, it's a little long, but I promise it'll be worth it. Um, I, and I'll, I'll just read it. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. You know why? Because... 
I had to rewrite and adapt a bunch of this. It's really, really hard to understand initially. After, after all, he's an old Scottish lad, you know, and it's just really hard to understand. And so here's what I think my resurrected body will say to my redeemed soul when they're reunited for the first time in the second coming of Jesus. My body will say to the soul something like this. Dear friend, it is so good to be finally back together. After that awful separation that we went through, I mean, you got to go straight to be with the Lord in paradise. Do you know what they did with me? They dug a hole and put me six feet under in a grave. The silver cord that had tied us together was severed, but now we are brought back together in the presence of Jesus, both wonderfully transformed and how different this is from the moment when we departed. And I think my body will say to my soul something like this, I'm so glad to be your body. You see, soul, you always, always long for Christ to be in us. You knew that having him would be our hope of glory. You were the one who made me a temple of the Holy Spirit. You have brought me, your body, into all this joy. Soul, I'm so sorry that I made life so hard for you on earth. I know that I was often a heavy burden. I was often slow, sluggish, and reluctant. Soul, you were often so willing, but I was so weak. I know that my eyes, I was difficult for you to master, but you mastered me well. You made these eyes shed tears over sin. You led these knees to kneel before God in faith and repentance. You caused this tongue to confess Jesus as Lord and to pray and to give thanks. And now this tongue will be used in the praises of God forevermore. I'm so grateful for you, my soul. Thank you. Thank you for not letting me have my way because others succumb to their flesh and they live for their own comfort. They follow the lust of their bodies and it led to their destruction. But now here I am, risen and with you, entering into all of the mansions of glory. And now my soul, you will not have to worry anymore about me being sick or tired or weary. You won't have to be concerned about me slowing down as I grow old. Now I will keep pace with you, my soul, in the presence of God forevermore. And I think my body will say something to my soul the same. Maybe perhaps my soul will reciprocate and say to my body this. Body, and I'm so happy to be reunited with you, my dear friend. You were and are, will always be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now rise and come with me. Let the eyes that so often wept over sin look with joy at the face of the Redeemer. Let these ears that have heard the word of life now hear the songs of heaven. Let these callous hands that plow the spiritually hard soil of the barrier, feel for the very first time the tender guiding hands of our master Jesus. Let these feet that took me to worship with the people of God on earth now lead me into the presence of my Savior in this new creation and rejoice with that great congregation above. And let my tongue that confessed Jesus below now join with the choirs of heaven in singing his praises forevermore and what a picture what a glorious picture 
see, it's a, it's a facet of the resurrection that I've just never seen or imagined. I can't tell you how many nights I've just wept over my own grief of sin in my life. I'm just so tired of crying and disappointing the Lord, just leaning into his grace over and over and over again. And to just hear with a fresh voice that my soul will say, hey man, you no longer have to do that. You're gonna keep pace with me. You are the full embodiment of the Holy Spirit now in your unique body that is imperishable, glorious, powerful, and all spiritual. And this all is a gift to you if you are in Jesus. Why don't you say yes to Jesus, whoever you are? Will you just make a claim today? Maybe you don't have all the answers. It doesn't matter. For some reason, maybe perhaps the Lord has given you a new heart to say yes to him today. And that's all it takes. That your death is true. Your resurrection is true. And therefore, as you've risen, I will one day rise and be with you. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And for the rest of us, all this is a gift to us through Jesus. Why won't you serve him? Why won't you see that there is labor here to be had in such a short time? Let's give it to the Lord. Let's not be bound by earthly things, but let's invest in the heavenly things that will last forever. Because your work is not in vain. Verse 58, therefore, oh, my brothers and sisters, let's be steadfast. Let's be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor and my labor will not be in vain. Let's pray. What a gift you are in Jesus. Thank you for sending your son to come, put on flesh, to live a perfect life and die on the cross, to rise again, to defeat death, to fulfill the law, and to ultimately pay for sin. Thank you that everything that you have done because you are the first fruit now applies to the harvest. Thank you, Father, that your gift of your Son frees us. Your gift of your Son gives us eternal life. And the very things that we want to experience here on earth, if we don't experience it, we will get in heaven. We're grateful that this is so near. We're, we're even asking now, come Lord Jesus now, that we might be the generation that will be living as you come. What a glorious sight that would be. But until then, will you help us to be resolved and also not that resurrection will be information, but it will transform us so that we might put our hands to the plow now to invest not on earthly things, but eternal things so that your glory will be had. And that our work will not be in vain because you will use it ultimately to bring about a new Jerusalem. There's nobody else to thank but you. And so we give you our glory. We give you our praise. And we give you our lives today forevermore. 
We pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and the victor of death. All God's people said, amen. Let's give him praise today. Hallelujah.